0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by a gogi finisher, death race finisher, and SGX coach, Clay Speakman. Clay and I had a great conversation about using our bodies and moving in a way that they were meant to move, learning to conquer the earth, and essentially using the world as our playground. We also talked a lot about creating a life that you're pushing yourself to be uncomfortable, where you're pushing the limits to create a better, stronger human. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you will find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Clay, thank you for joining me today. How are you?
1: I'm fantastic. It's great to join you.
0: Awesome. I'm curious because you're in a lot colder weather than I am. What is it like
1: Uh, It's starting to turn, starting to get a little chilly. Uh, We've had a lot of rain, a lot of moisture, and it's perfect for Spartan racing, which is just uncomfortable. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's supposed to
0: rain this weekend?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a little wet and a little cold at the New Jersey Spartan Race up here, but you know, I think that's the, the part of Spartan, right? Get uncomfortable right away, and then everything else will be easier right? If you start off nice and comfortable and dry and clean, it's hard to get into those obstacles. But When it's already nasty and wet, you, you already got your mind ready for just embracing the up. It's going to come.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Like I remember playing soccer growing up. I'm like, I hated getting out in the rain on those rainy, muddy fields. But then once you were there, it's just like, okay, it's just fun now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I always laugh because you always hear when you have new people running a Spartan race, um, you'll always hear a few comments like, oh, try to like run around the mud. Oh, try to keep your, your shoes dry. Oh, like don't get, your, don't get your shirt dirty. I think it's so funny because I'm like, just get in there. Like the best <laughs> right? thing before you even start a race is just go mess up all your stuff. Like, yeah get nasty, get dirty, whatever. Cause then your mind is like, Oh God, I'm already over that. I can focus on other things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're going to get there anyway at some point. So just get there. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Clay, you have quite a background um, from how you got into, into Spartan, what your journey has been since there. And with what you're doing now, how you've incorporated it all. So I'm um, just kind of want to dive into first, who are you? How'd you get into all this? And uh, we'll go from there.
1: Sure. So in my 20s and 30s, I was the typical adult that was fairly athletic, had played sports in high school, tried to play sports sort of on a maybe every other week or every other weekend basis, pick up basketball with my friends, try to play some tennis. Um, I was the weekend warrior, didn't really care about my health too much. And, you know, when I turned mid 30s, I started to, to decide that I needed to, to pay more attention because when I was in my forties and fifties, I didn't want to be like the average typical American, right? Uh, who sits at a desk and drives a car. And that's all you do really to get around. So my wife and I joined a kickboxing gym and then that kickboxing gym put a team together for a Spartan race. And I did the first Spartan race. I was like most people. I thought, I don't think I'm tough enough to do it. I don't know if I'm strong enough to do it. Um, And I did it out of peer pressure. And one thing is when I signed up, it made me work harder to get ready because I didn't want to get embarrassed. right? I wanted to be able to do well. And I think that's a that's a big thing in everybody's mind is you you sign up and then you're going to sign up for something you're scared of and then it'll push you to work harder to achieve it. So I did that. I did my first race and my whole body and mind said, this is what we were created for. We were created to conquer the earth to to pull ourselves up things and run down things and jump over things like it just woke me up and said like this is what life is about it, you know and i thought okay what's the next hardest challenge and i did a sprint so then i signed up for a super and i finished the super then i signed up for a beast and then after the beast i signed up for the ultra after the ultra i signed up for hurricane heat after the hurricane heat it was the yogogi and after the yogogi i did two of the yogogis then it was the death race And that's sort of, I finished that in July this year. So really the mantra was just, okay, sign up for the next hardest thing that scares you. Figure out what you need to do to get ready physically, mentally, what's going on in your life that you need to figure out to be able to achieve these things. And then go do it and make it happen. And if you fail, do it again. And if you fail, do it again. And when you get to the next level, what's the next challenge beyond that? That's really what's done. It's really changed my life and not just physically, but mentally, my relationships, uh, my character, my strength has really grown through everything I've learned. And it's been amazing.
0: Very cool. Let's just briefly touch on, since a lot of, a lot of people know of a GOE, but aren't really too familiar with what it is. So what specifically is that race? How is it different than, than the other r- normal sport and races?
1: Sure. So the Agogi is actually going on right now in Greece. Uh, there's one that's about halfway through and I think it's the 11th or 12th Agogi. Um, I did number seven and number 10. Those were the two that I did. Uh, so the Agogi is a 60 hour endurance race that Spartan puts on. Um, it's, it's as much mental as it is physical. Um, but it 's as much teaching as it is performance. So the goal of a Gogi is to have a, a learning experience that tests your ability to uh, improve and perform on survival skills, nutrition skills, um, navigation skills, teamwork skills. there 's a lot of teamwork involved in it. and it 's a great event, and it is passable by anybody, but it takes a, a lot of training. So as a prerequisite to an agogi, you should probably do a hurricane heat. A 12-hour hurricane heat is the ideal way to get ready for an agogi. Um, And if you haven't done a 12-hour hurricane heat, start with a four-hour hurricane heat, which is really just a teamwork event. Um, The 12-hour is a teamwork event with some individual performance um, tests required to be able to pass. And the agogi is just a a super version of a a 12-hour. But it's a great event, and you will learn a lot about the culture of the places you visit. A couple of years ago, Spartan decided they're not going to do Agogis in the U.S. anymore. They're all going to be destination events. So they're in Namibia. They're in Greece. They're in uh, Mongolia. They're in Iceland. Uh, so I got to do the Iceland event and the, and the Mongolia event, and they were really fantastic experiences. And you learn a lot, and you have a, a huge level of bonding with your teammates and your other participants it's a hard event, you don't get a lot of sleep, if any at all. You have to manage your nutrition. Uh, You have to have a lot of skills that have been worked on ahead of time. You have to have a very specific gear list. Um, And the pass-fail rate is anywhere between 25% may pass to 75%, depending on the makeup of the people who attend.
0: So then let's get into death race a little bit as well. Cause it's another one that's out there that we know about, but not a lot of details about. And I don't, you and I talked, you know, earlier as far as kind of more specific details, but just kind of as a general, what is the death race about? um, And kind of why, not to say, why did you do it? But kind of like what's the overall challenge with it?
1: Sure. Well, I'll start at the last question. Why did I do it? Because it was the next sort of crazy thing on my list that, that scared me after doing two agogis. Um, what the death race is about in in one word is just chaos. Um, it, it is designed to be chaos, very vague rules, very vague structure. It, and the goal of the death race is to push people way beyond the limits that they thought they had. And meet not just normal people, but people who have who've done the hardest events in the world go to the death race with the goal of pushing them way beyond they've, places they've ever gone before, mentally, physically, like you know, relationship-wise, everything like that. And the death race is actually the original Spartan race. So when Joe first got into sort of fitness and events, the first things he did was the death race. And the, and the idea behind the death race is just the craziest adventure obstacle race that he could think of. And that people would say, like, that's crazy. There's no way you, we could do a race like that. There's no way we could finish a race like that. That was the criteria that Joe set. Um, and it wasn't really scalable because he, he had really a hard time getting enough people to even want to come for it. He'd get a handful of his friends each year and, and couldn't really grow it because it was just too hard. It was too crazy. And so then he started the Spartan race as a way to get more and more people involved. And that was great. And then eventually he brought the death race back. Um, and so now the death race is something that's under Spartan's operation. And this year they're trying to get 150 participants to do the death race. That's a good number of people. Um, but the historically the finish rate is 15, 20% um, and it's designed to be that way. But the, the thing about the death race is you don't know a lot going into it. They're purposely vague. They make you figure out things. Um, People make a lot of mistakes about what they bring and how they bring it, when they show up, how to park. I mean, those are things that will end up causing lots of problems for lots of people because they didn't decipher all the information correctly. Um, There were people who got disqualified because they didn't arrive correctly. People got disqualified because some of the things they brought were were not okay, and then other people got disqualified because they didn't bring some of the things that they should have brought, even though there's no gear list. So there's things that are never asked for that if you don't have, you can't pass the event, and you just have to sort of know by talking to other people. Um, and then during the event, everything is purposeful, purposeful chaos. Um, so it's difficult, it's taxing. Uh, you can steal away some sleep if you're smart enough to figure out how to get it. Uh, <laughs> You can eat food if you're smart enough to figure out when to do it and how to do it. Um, other than that, it's, it's just there's lots of people on you all the time asking you to do sometimes random pointless things and sometimes things that really matter and you have to figure out how to do it all. But it's a great experience. It's amazing um, the the bonds you make with people is just outstanding. And if you can make it to the end, the satisfaction is fantastic.
0: How long is it?
1: It's anywhere from 60 to 70 hours okay. or when they decide it's over, which is part of, part of the issue. Our event went 70 plus hours, maybe 70, 71 hours. And they were telling us we were going to have to complete a whole nother cycle, which would have taken about another eight hours. But most of us sort of knew that probably wasn't the case. We, I think we thought we saw enough signs that they were getting ready to wrap up the event that we didn't really believe that that was going to happen, but some people did. Some people mentally sort of checked out after that was and, and decided they couldn't do it. Um, so there were, there were people who just mentally couldn't take the challenge of another eight hours of, of being able to do something, even though that never really happened. Um, but they're always messing with you. You could be 30 minutes from finishing the event and they'll tell you you're a half a day away.
0: Yeah. Definitely the, definitely the mental, gets the mental side of things going for sure.
1: Yeah. Lots of puzzles, lots of riddles, lots of challenges. Run up and down this hill 12 times and then, you know, see what happens. And Go, <laughs> in, the pond, go in the pond and clean out all the dead trees and all the twigs that are in this ice cold pond and then clean up this wood pile. and then, you know, go into this field and, and cut every piece of grass with a pair of scissors until it's, you know, looks beautiful. there's there's this crazy stuff and it's chaos but it's a really fantastic event for somebody who's looking for the absolute limit of where you are yeah some people last 10 12 hours and they get an enormous amount out of the event because they find where their limit is they find a new limit that goes way beyond what they thought they could handle before and you would think okay somebody who goes and lasts 24 hours and gets disqualified would be upset or would feel bad or would be sort of disappointed, but it's actually the opposite. People get disqualified and they find where their new limits are and they find new frontiers that they had never been able to get to before. And That's the point of the event.
0: Yeah. And I think you can almost take another step further too, as far as you find new areas that you've never found in yourself before, but you can also at that point figure out like, what about me? What about my beliefs? are still holding me back from going that next step further too and find new things to work on.
1: Yeah, it it definitely, it forces you into those situations that are really hard to get into on your own. Um, Most of us live in live lives that are pretty convenient. We've set up our lives in ways that we're comfortable with. We do things that we're mostly comfortable with that we know how to do and an event like the death race, and even the agogi, and even just Spartan races for people who've not gotten into it, just forces you into uncomfortable situations where you have to react, and you have to adapt, and you have to grow, and you have to be uncomfortable. And I always say to my students is, the comfort is the enemy of progress. Comfort is what stops us from growing, from changing. So being uncomfortable, is what brings about change. And most people just don't force themselves to be uncomfortable. They go the opposite direction.
0: Yeah, that is so true. So true. I think that's a good segue into what you do and what you absolutely love doing, which is training those people who have never done Spartan before, who are new to the sport, or maybe they've perhaps done one race to kind of test the waters a little bit. Um, So let's kind of dive into that a little bit on Why do you absolutely love working with that group of people, these people who are really starting from ground zero?
1: Sure. Uh, So I got my Spartan SGX certification about a year and a half ago, and that's Spartan's training program for coaches, which is the the first step in training other people for any obstacle course race, not just Spartan. Um, But, you know, just like I transformed my – Physical and mental sort of growth through obstacle course racing. Um, I believe in the mission that Spartan is driving to, which is you know ripping people off the couch and making them uncomfortable. Um, I think that that's much more than just getting people active. I think it's changing people's lives by getting people in an uncomfortable situation. And you know, I want to do my part to help people who are unsure about. Could I do a Spartan race? I don't know how to climb a wall. I've never climbed a rope before. Uh, There's no way I could just sign up and do those things. So, you know, there are thousands of CrossFit gyms. There's thousands of cycle gyms. There's thousands of running clubs. But there's not a lot of obstacle course gyms or obstacle course training programs um, that are available to most people. And last year, almost 8 million people in the U.S. did an obstacle course race. And that is a phenomenal number because it's almost twice as many as did it four years ago. So in 2018 was the first year that more people did obstacle course races than half marathons and marathons, uh, which has long been the amateur sport that had the most amount of people. So less people are running and more people are getting into obstacle course racing, but there's not enough gyms and training programs, uh, that have come up and helped those people. So that's become a passion of mine is to take the experience that I've gone through the last couple of years and the benefits of that help other people, uh, feel more confident that I can sign up and do a race. And once I do a race, I can train and get better. Um, there's just no substitute for how to climb walls. You have to climb walls. How do you climb a rope? You have to climb a rope. Um, How do you pick up a bucket and go up and down hills? Well, pick up a bucket in a gym and go up the stairs. Um, Those are things that just require practice, and they build confidence. So we have people come to our program, and they look at the wall, and they say, I can't do that. Um, They don't know if they can do it. They just think they can't do it. After one or two classes, they're going over the wall like it's nothing. Um, It's about technique, but it's also a lot about confidence. People just don't think they can do things. And you have to show them and help them, encourage them. And then other people in the class will help and encourage them. And then they feel good about doing it. And then they want to move on to the next hardest thing. And that's really what the class is all about.
0: Yeah, the confidence factor is such a huge thing, especially when we're getting into anything new, essentially, not, not just... Um, Spartan racing or OCR optional course racing is just having that confidence to do something new and be okay, you know, with that learning curve and not knowing how to do it right away.
1: Yeah. I mean, the mission of our program is to make people stronger by overcoming the obstacles. That's not just making them physically stronger. It's every part stronger. And the obstacles are not just the physical obstacles, they're any obstacle. We have have discussions among our clients about obstacles at work, obstacles in their their family life with relationships. We had somebody who just said, uh, hey, I'm trying to be more uncomfortable in my work life, so I volunteered at a staff meeting for a project that I never would have volunteered before. Now I'm taking a role in that project, and it's really uncomfortable for me to do, but it's a really good thing for me to do. And so we talk about that's the power of being uncomfortable. That's the power of obstacles, is if you don't challenge the obstacles, you can't overcome them. And so you have to be uncomfortable to challenge an obstacle and you have to to challenge it to overcome it, whether it's in work, life, friends, family, or on a race course. It's really
0: cool to hear that story because I've talked a lot with people about, you know, how these obstacles are the metaphor for obstacles in life and all of that, but to actually hear a real story of a newer athlete even recognizing that and taking that on full force is really cool
1: yeah listen 99 percent of obstacle course racers are not racing for prize money what we're racing for is confidence and betterment and strength and character and relationships I mean those are the things that we're racing for and health and longevity Um, we're not going to be placing on podiums we're going to be bettering our lives. And that's what obstacle course racing is doing for people. Now, you can do that if your passion is rowing, if your passion is cycling, if your passion is triathlons or running marathons. That's great. Those people should do those things. But a growing number of people um, are doing obstacle course racing. And this is the best thing about it is the change that it brings.
0: Definitely. Let's kind of talk a little about... You mentioned it earlier, and I absolutely love how you word it as far as, like, we were created to conquer the earth, that, you know, we're, we're meant to do just everything possible with our bodies, essentially, as far as climbing, lifting, carrying, pushing, pulling, jumping, you name it. Um, how do you, obviously, you're training obstacles, but kind of how do you incorporate that concept into what you do with your athletes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I believe God created the perfect machines in our bodies to be able to to roam and conquer the earth and hunt and find and forage. And, and, you know, we weren't created to ride in cars or sit at desks. Those are things that we built for our own comfort. So when you get back to our ancient selves, you really use your body in really awesome, amazing ways that it was made for. You have to fuel your body with the things that it was made for, and you have to do the things your body's made for. So you know, one obstacle course racing is a natural extension of that because of the, the venues, because of the courses, you know, I particularly like nature. So I like the Spartan series because it's usually on a mountain or it's in nature. Other people like city challenge or the stadium races. Those are great too. Um, I always prefer the trails, but the idea is that you are conquering terrain. You are traversing the earth and you are going up and down obstacles, you know, using your natural uh, machine of your body. So when we're training athletes, it's number one, it's diversity, right? You're not going to get good at doing things by just doing a thousand, you know, sit-ups, which by the way, you shouldn't do sit-ups anymore. That's waiting for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, doing a thousand push-ups is not going to make you, you know, better at, at everything you need to do. So you need diversity, you know. And I think obstacle course racing is great because instead of biking for 25 miles, you're running a quarter mile and then you're climbing a wall. Then you're, then you're jogging another half mile and then you're climbing a rope, then you're hiking uh, a hill and then you're picking up a sandbag and then you're running down another hill and then you're going in water and then, you know, so on and so on. The diversity is really allowing your body to use all the different things that it was made for without overtaxing any specific thing. So that's what we talk about in training is training is all about diversity. Go run a hill and then go lift weights and then go do planks and then carry heavy things up and down hills and then go do you know box jumps and then climb walls and climb ropes. It makes it a lot of fun because you don't burn out any particular set of things at any given time. And that's That's training for us. So anytime you can lift things, pull things, jump, run, you know, hurdle, those are all things that work great for obstacle course racing. And if you don't have a gym near you, you can do all those things on your living room floor. You can make up things to pick up and carry. You can make up things to hold your body weight. You can always, you can do a plank anywhere. So people don't need an obstacle course gym or program to get good at obstacle course racing. It just helps when you practice Uh, on the specific things, but you can get strong by doing anything. You just need body weight. That's all you need in most cases. And you can always find heavy things around you to pick up and carry up and down hills.
0: That is so true. Yeah. As you were talking, this whole concept of the world is your playground came up into my head.
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So yeah, I think that, you know, roads were meant for cars and trails were meant for people to run. Um, you know, I think mountains were meant to explore. So if I'm running on a road, I'm looking for the nearest trail I can find or the nearest mountain I can go on. And I want to get off that road as, as soon as possible. I'd rather be, you know, playing, playing with the earth. Um, and I also think that there's a, there's a strong mental connection uh, between us when we do that when we get outside of the concrete world that we've created for our own comfort and we get with the trees and we get with nature and we get to mountains and we get to lakes and we get to rivers. um, Mentally, I think it, it is, it strengthens our ability to understand our world, our universe, and the beauty of it. And I think there's a huge mental upside from doing that, just getting out of the concrete jungles that we've created and getting off the couch and getting out of watching TV on. Now I sit on my couch. i got a great couch. I love some TV shows and my wife and I watch them all the time. There's nothing wrong with that, but if you don't have enough balance in getting out of that, then you're going to have issues with the singularity of just being too comfortable.
0: Well, I think you hit it right spot on too, with just talking about just getting out to nature and the connection you create with yourself and with the world. And, it does just do something different to you, you know, mentally, emotionally, even physically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always felt that and I've always wanted to, to do that more. Uh, but I was just like most people in my twenties and thirties, I stopped doing it. I went to the office every day. I came home, went to the garage, went to the couch, went to bed. Yeah the office back to the car and it's just so easy that's that is the lifestyle that most people live and you have to forcibly make yourself stop that yeah it's a world created for our comfort and if you just go along with it you're going to wake up one day in your in your late 40s early 50s like most adults do and realize i'm not healthy at all
0: yeah i even started recently if i don't have you know, a time to just get out to the trails and get out there somewhere away from Phoenix area. It's like, there's a couple of parks nearby that just have some nice little ponds. And I'm like, I'll just go sit by the pond and watch the ducks and just kind of chill. And even though it's in the middle of the city, it still like gets me out.
1: Yeah, The smallest thing you can do if you can't even leave your house or your office is sit on the floor. I tell people this all the time. If you don't have 10 minutes to to leave the comfortable space that you're in, make yourself uncomfortable in the space that you have, Mm -hmm. right? Don't sit on your chair, don't sit on your couch, sit on the floor, do something on the floor, hold a plank, you know, hold something, you know, just get yourself out of the most comfortable spot that you're probably likely in right now and get yourself a little bit uncomfortable. And it will, it will just five minutes of that will change your outlook on your day.
0: That's, that's great advice there. Just, uh, just those small little things during your day. Um, whether it's to get yourself moving or get yourself uncomfortable, it's, it's important.
1: Take a phone call, walk around the office instead of sit at your desk, Mm uh, work on a presentation sit on the floor. I mean, these are all things that everybody has to figure out. How can I actually do some of these things? Right. But the the common theme is just whatever makes you uncomfortable, do it. Yeah. Like you're gonna find little things become medium-sized things and medium things become major things, whether they're good or they're bad. You know? So being uncomfortable, take a little step, it will become a a medium step, and that medium step will become a large step, and all of a sudden you'll be really comfortable being uncomfortable, and you're gonna unlock all kinds of new things by doing that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty Phenomenal I, is the word I want to use. As far as when you do start letting yourself become uncomfortable, you realize just how many more things in life you can push yourself through.
1: Yeah, we have a our slogan, our sort of Facebook group, sort of the mantra that we use for our class, and I learned it from other people. I can't take credit for it. Um, and that slogan is "embrace the suck," mm-hmm. uh, which is a fun way of saying just. The the more uncomfortable it is, the more we should embrace it, right? So when you start your day and you start your mindset with embrace the suck, what you find is you stop complaining about anything really. Because the worse something is, the more you just embrace it and, okay, this is just an obstacle, right? I'm not going to run away from it. I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to overcome it. And the more something sucks, the more I'm going to embrace it.
0: Yeah. It's, I use that phrase a lot, same thing as far as whether it's my training or just life stuff in general. And yeah, it's so true. Just, just notice it, feel it and dig in and keep going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love it.
0: You kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, The whole factor of mixing things up, changing up what we're doing. So we're not essentially overdoing it. So we're not working the same muscle groups, the same issues all the time. From the coaching side of things from the athlete side of things like why is it important to change things up and not use those same muscle groups and these same patterns all the time
1: um so you see this trend today uh where kids as athletes youth sports if you're good at baseball when you're seven or eight or nine um and you're good enough to make like the a team that kid will play baseball year-round, every year, until they're in their college years, right? If they're good enough and if they're in their majors. So they will basically stop doing every other sport and just stick to one sport, right? And same thing with soccer, same thing with everything like that. And that's the trend. There's a lot of research now that says that is the worst thing you can possibly do because the amount of of same, same, same reps – same same muscle movements over and over and over day to day to day to day is creating injuries at a far faster pace now than 10 20 years ago with the same athletes even if you go to the pro athletes and you look at the the muscle injuries and the body injuries for professional sports players now it's a much higher rate than it used to do than It used to be now you could say people are faster people are stronger things like that that's part of it there's more injuries because there's higher impact, but there actually is a lot of research says, well, they're just more overworked than they ever were before. Um, it used to be a kid was good at baseball. They would also play soccer. They would play basketball. They play football. They play a bunch of different sports. And then when they went maybe to college, they might focus on one sport, maybe even in college, they play three or four sports. And then by the time they got to professional athletes, they'd play just one sport. And now it starts when they're eight years old. Right? So, we're not all pro athletes, but the same science applies. If you're doing just lifting or if you're doing just strength training and you're not working cardio muscles and you're not working uh, tenacity on your ankles and you're not working on, you know, different body movements, then you're going to just overwork the same muscles and your results are going to diminish. You're going to have to work two or three times harder to get progressive results. If you keep working the same muscles the same way. And so you're just, you're likely to overtrain or you're likely to stop progress altogether. Mm -hmm. But if you train one group, move to the next group, move to the next group, move to the next group, do different things. Mentally, it helps because you don't feel like you're doing the same thing the whole time, but the body actually will cycle through getting better and recovering and getting better and recovering. So by the time you do this similar motion, it might be five or six days since you've done that before. Now you've been able to fully recover that group while working other groups in between. So it ultimately it's more progress and it's less.
0: Very cool. Um, Yeah, that's, I like the explanation. And even you taking it back to, to the kids growing up in sports, because it's a conversation I have a lot with people that yeah this, this isolation or of movement from that young age is causes so many
1: issues. Yeah. And it's not as fun. Like, yeah. Ask any like seven-year-old kid, like what do you want to do? They want to do a bunch of things, they don't want to do just one thing, right? It's the parents who make these yeah. decisions, not the kids. So now you go into adults. Well, adults don't want to do one thing either, like whether we realize it or not. We like to do different things all the time. That's more fun, just like when we were kids. But people will say, Well, I'm just gonna do spin class, or I'm just gonna do Pilates. Because it's the mo- they think that it's the only thing they can do and they think it's the biggest commitment that they can challenge that they can take, so they just do it and they sign up for that one thing and they do it four or five times a week and at first it's good, but then it plateaus and people get stuck, and then they don't see the progress, and so they either overtrain or they quit mm-hmm. and that's- anybody who's joined a gym has a similar story, right The key is. Decide to get active. Don't decide to join a gym. You might join a gym as part of getting active and healthy, but decide to do a bunch of different things that are all going to make you happy and stronger. And if you do join a join a gym, try to do all the different things that they offer on a cycle basis, so you're not just doing one thing.
0: Yeah, when I lived in Minnesota, you know, it got cold enough that there was times it just wasn't safe to get out and run, and so it was actually really good for me though, because then during the winter I would play racquetball, I swim laps, I do kind of mix it up and then we got back to summer again i'd be out running more and it was a really good way for me to not to get stuck in one one mode of activity
1: yeah. i did a strong zumba class the other day and like <laughs> i'm not good at that at all um, <laughs> i don't look good doing the class um it's hard for me but it, i did it because that's the idea because it was hard yeah uh, it was different and it was a different mentality it was a different movement set different muscle set and you really feel the muscles that you don't normally use when you try something new. You know, you could be the greatest racquetball player and you could be lightning quick and, but then you try something like CrossFit and you realize, wow, I got a lot of stuff that I don't work out much and yeah. you're going to feel it when you start. And that's the point. Those muscles are going to go, Oh, like we, we have to engage now. Well, we're going to be really sore when you're done. Well, yeah. the idea is keep revisiting those muscles, you know, once a week and then they're going to get stronger and now you're going to be better at
0: yeah. Um, also the heart.
1: You know, pe- people will do exercises, but they won't work the heart. The heart needs to max out 90% about twice a week to keep getting better at what it does. Right? So people will do like low intensity workouts all the time, go on a, an hour long jog three times a week. That's good for some things, but it's not really working out your heart. Right? You have to do a 90-second sprint or a 60-second sprint and get yourself to 90% plus for your heart to basically lift weights so that your heart gets stronger. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be sort of working out other things, but you're not going to get the benefit of that. So like what you do in variance is important because you may never max out your heart rate when you go on a jog. But if you play racquetball with your friend, you might get to 90%, and that's what your heart needs.
0: I'm glad you pointed that out because it's not something that's brought up real often when talking with coaches is not just mixing up movements, but mixing up that heart rate change as well.
1: Yeah. And you only need it about twice a week and you only need it for about 15 seconds. Um, And that's what you need to, people say, well, what can I do better to be a better endurance athlete or a better sprinter or things like that? Half the equation is your heart. How much oxygen can you bring in and how much blood flow can you pump on every millisecond when you are pushing your body as hard as you can? That's what stops most people. They can't get enough oxygen in, they can't push enough blood out. Well, the only way to do that is to do push ups for your heart. And push ups for your heart is is getting 85, 90% max a couple times a week. And that's what you need to do.
0: And so, (laughs) joking but not joking, if you're stuck at home and can't leave, just do twenty burpees as fast as you can, and
1: burpees is a great. Your heart rate. Burpees is the is is one of the best exercises you can do because it works every part of your body. And if you do them fast enough, you know, then yeah, you're gonna get a, a peak heart rate out of it, and it's gonna be great. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right, kind of close things out a little bit. Um, tell us about where you coach. Tell us about how people can find you if they want to reach out to you. Um, all that fun stuff.
1: Sure. Um, so you can find us on Facebook at Elevate OCR, uh, also on Instagram, Elevate OCR. And we have a program in New York. It's in New City, New York, which is about 30 miles north of New York City. Uh, it's about 10 miles north of the Northern New Jersey border. Uh, it's in Rockland County. Uh, if you know that area, um, it's in the lower Hudson Valley. So we have an obstacle course program. We run it at the UFC gym in New City, New York, which is about a 20,000 square foot gym with a large turf area. We have walls, we have ropes, we have sandbags, we have buckets, we have hoists, we have spear throw, we have monkey bars, we have rings. So a lot of the obstacles that you would only see on obstacle course races, we have there so people can get comfortable and confident with it people want to check it out if you're not even in the area at all at least come check out the facebook page see the types of workouts that we do uh, we post videos almost on a daily basis and you can try some of them in your your gym if you have the stuff um, or you can try rigging it up like make your own obstacle course out of your own gym or out of your own home uh, message me if you want some ideas uh I'd be happy to help anybody
0: you do some pretty cool stuff on there i've been following it and just kind of checking out some things that you do and It's a lot of fun what you're, what you're creating over there.
1: We try to make it a little crazy and a little scary each time people show up. As you should. (laughs) Idea. We want them to go, Oh no, just a little bit. So that they're a little bit scared of what the course we're going to set up that day. is. But that's the challenge for them to overcome. And it's great.
0: Very cool. Well, Clay, thank you so much for your time today. really appreciate you um, getting on here and talking with me.
1: Yeah, I'd love it. So uh, keep up the good work. I love what you're doing. And, uh, I look forward to seeing uh, your future podcasts. And interviews. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Thanks.
0: And that concludes this week's episode of highly functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group obstacle course, racing, athlete, health, and performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe, as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become, a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.